are live. Welcome to today's episode of Microconf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Wallen. Every Wednesday, we live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing startups that are ambitious but fit within the goals of having a life, not burning yourself out, and finding freedom, purpose, and relationships. We, of course, think in terms of years, not months. We know this is a marathon, not a sprint. So we don't burn ourselves out working crazy hours, sacrificing our mental health and relationships. We have a long-term mindset. And we want to be ambitious, but we also want to live a normal life on the side <laughs> or alongside our company. If this is the first time you're joining us, welcome. We do a live stream, uh, as I said, every week here at 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you're interested in asking questions of myself or today, Val Geisler, but of any guest in the future, head to microconfconnect.com. You apply there. If you're a founder, fire founder, um, there's a Slack channel that we run that has more than a thousand people in it. And it's um, a lot of folks being really helpful to one another. And we highly moderate it. Uh, and it's turned into a really great community. If um, you have not checked out, if you if you miss any of these episodes, you can head to any podcast app, search for MicroConf on air, and that will get you um, this, the audio format of this show, if you want to catch up on that. Uh, we released a YouTube playlist a couple weeks ago that has gotten a lot of uh, traction, a lot of positive feedback. It's called Building Your First SaaS, The Ultimate Crash Course, and um, I pulled 10 microconf talks from it was it was agony from like a almost 200 or more than 200 and um it was really hard but producer xander limited me to that and i believe one of the 10 is actually val geisler's uh talk about onboarding before i bring val in thanks as always to basecamp and stripe they're our headline partners for the year we love working with them and they make everything we do just a little easier so today val geisler and i are going to be discussing onboarding and retention. And specifically, we're gonna shape the conversation around auditing your onboarding emails to boost customer retention, but frankly, anything onboarding or retention is on the table. Again, if you have questions about this stuff, please feel free to pipe it into Slack. If you can see me looking down, it's because I'm checking Slack to try to, um, to bring in your questions into the conversation. Val Geisler is an email-focused retention strategist for direct-to-consumer and SaaS brands. You can find out more about her at fixmychurn.com. And she was uh, actually slated to speak at MicroConf Starter this year in Minneapolis in April. Um, but with all the postponements we had to do, um, we wound up having to cancel. We were going to do seven events throughout the year. Suddenly, we were going to do seven events in eight weeks in the fall and winter. And we unfortunately did have to cancel two of our events. And um, one of them was Starter. So Val had started you know, outlining and, and given a lot of thought to this idea of, of auditing your onboarding emails. And uh, we just wanted to bring her on the show today to um, to kind of chat through that and hear more of her thoughts on that. So Val, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. And I was getting a little choked up with the intro, like thinking about how we should be doing this in person. And then just I know. hearing the microconf music just <laughs> got me feeling all the feels. It's, I hear you. It is, um, it, still when people, producer Xander will joke like, hey, we, you know, we had to move the event and I'm like, too soon. Too soon, man. It's still, I don't know when I'm going to recover from this, but it is uh, definitely hard just to not be able to see everybody, you know? So you're joining yeah. us uh, from Ohio. I'm here in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. and um, I think we're going to have some good good chatting today. I'm going to yeah. check. All right. No questions, no questions so far, but no do you want to frame so from the conversation? Yeah, you want to frame the conversation a little bit and just tell, I yeah, mean, you know more sure. about 
you know, auditing, I'm sorry about onboarding and, and customer retention than, than frankly, most of the people I, I know. So would love to hear your high level thoughts as we dive into it. Yeah. So what I had intended to teach when we were, would all be together live and happy to walk through it here is the exact checklist that I use when I do onboarding audits for clients. So um, we do onboarding audits, several of them a month of, you know, looking at what works, what doesn't work, um, you know, doing the deeper research on the client, the customer end customer, um, the brand, the, the voice of customer messaging, all of it. And then the email cadence and subject lines and looking at um, performance stats of open rates and uh, click-through rates and all of those things. So what I was putting together was, okay, I have this checklist. So this is what I do all the time. How do I explain that to people? Because um, mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to explain what we do. And especially when it's something we do all the time, it's like, well, you just do it. Um, so uh, mm -hmm. I was really trying to figure out how do we how do we break that down and make it understandable and something that, um, that you know, people can walk away from listening to it and say, I'm going to do these things and here's my checklist to, to go get it right. done. Yeah. Awesome. That's um, great context. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of like, we can get into the nitty gritty of it, but um, I think that the most important thing to think about when you're doing an onboarding audit is your customers. So um, a lot of times this is the step that everyone wants to skip over and just go straight to, well, let's just write some emails. I get a lot of people who ask me, hmm. can you just write us some new emails? Um, and I always tell them, well, I can, but we don't know how well they'll perform until mm -hmm. we know more about your customers. And I think that that's a really important place to not only start, but to have as the through line in the way, not just building your product, but even everything, including how you message to them um, and then how those customers change over time. So this isn't a one and done situation. This is, you know, the product changes, the customers change. A lot of us are building a product that solves a problem we have. And so we're our own best first customer, which is amazing because you know that customer really well, hopefully. Um, but over time as you your customers grow and your numbers of customers grow the the product changes and and adds to it and um, certain features that you didn't think would matter as much all of a sudden matter a ton to your customers and uh, i've talked to so many founders that find this kind of pattern that they no, no longer feel like they are their own customer and um, feel a little bit out of touch so um in at microconf we talk a lot about ways to talk to your customers and that's how, where I always start. Um, so I can share more about how to do that. Yeah, please go. Uh, yeah. I, I was going to be my question is how, how, do, how cool. would you recommend that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, our friend Amy Hoy and, and Alex Hellman, they kind of coined this phrase of sales safari. Uh, and that's the first place I start when I don't have access to customers is I go in and do a, um, the sales safari is digging around on the internet for information about the customers. So for me, this looks like I go to the review sites. Uh, so all the different Captera and all those app review sites, and I read product reviews, not to look for product information, not to talk about features and the product itself, but to see what kind of language the customers are using around the product and the problem that they're facing. 
So I look for those kinds of reviews. Um, if I can, I join Facebook groups or Slack communities where these customers hang out. Um, a lot of products have a, their own Facebook group, and so I'll ask them to add me. And then I scroll through conversations and see what are the problems that are coming up over and over again? How are they talking about these problems? And then how is the product sol solving that problem for them? I look at social media, obviously, you know, mentions of the product. Uh, and then knowing now, having gone through the, the review sites and the Facebook groups, I have an idea of some of these keywords to look for in social media about problems they're facing. And maybe it's their, the solution is a competitor product. Um, and so that's a really important information to know. Um, I look at any existing customer research. So sometimes this is, sometimes it doesn't exist. Companies haven't done customer research formally. Um, and so in that case, I go through uh, support tickets. So looking at support tickets, the conversations that are happening, um, the way customers talk about their, the things that they're facing in, in their, you know, their journey with your product. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, the, the one thing to know about um, the support tickets is a lot of times they are product focused, they're feature focused. Uh, so I try and look for those specifics around, um, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, so I do this and it's all of this kind of like jotting down notes. Um, it's very, it's a very messy process. Uh, once I have gone through all of those things, I can start to categorize a little bit and say, okay, here are the problems that we see being addressed by this product. Here are the ways that customers are saying it. So literally copying and pasting into, I usually use a spreadsheet and just say, here are the, here's the language people are using to address uh, this particular problem. Um, the other place that some people can look is Amazon reviews. If you have like a book, um, a lot mm -hmm. of people have were content creators before creating a product. So they might have a, a book on Amazon, looking at those Amazon reviews. Um, and that's kind of the last little sales safari place that I go. Sure. Cool. And that's how you get uh, it without doing customer interviews, right? That's without doing jobs right. to be done interviews. That's kind of a way to just dig yeah. around in the existing artifacts of a, of a business. Right. Um, those are the things that I do at like 11 o'clock at night or, you know, on the weekends when, um, when I don't want to, uh, you know, ask somebody to have a one-to-one -one interview. These are, these are mm -hmm. like fun, fun in my, in my world, uh, fun yeah. late night projects or early right. morning. Nerd, nerd yeah. alert. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> fun, geeky things. Um, so, so there then, are two questions in the Slack. Yeah. Should I, should it, should I interrupt you now? Or do you want to finish, kind of finish that thought and then we can, I can ask these. Okay. The first question it should be a pretty easy one. Uh, it's from Pablo and he said, what is an onboarding audit? Oh yeah. So we'll talk about it in just a second. Um, but cool. onboarding being the emails that you use to bring a person into your product and audit being looking at that, that package of, and emails could also be your in-app messages, your overall communication. Uh, to your customers about how they are first experiencing your product. Right. And an audit is like, hey, I have a checklist that I'm going to evaluate my onboarding on to make sure all these things are dialed in and right. figuring out how to, how to if it's performing, if you need to make changes to it. Second right. question from Forrest, or yeah, the second question is from Forrest. He says, how do you accurately measure the effectiveness of your onboarding campaign when you are making changes to it? How do you know what you're doing is actually working? Ah, so... 
Well, one, I, I think that he means like, how do you um, measure it after the changes are made? Um, yeah. But it, sometimes it happens that people ask me to audit something and they say, well, we're in the process of changing things on that sequence right now. I'm like, cool. Right. I don't want to audit it. I don't want to audit it until mm -hmm. it's done. So don't audit anything that hasn't already existed for some time. Um, I yep. always look for a couple of months worth of data on how things are performing. Once you are starting to make changes, though, you can go back and see, um, you know, it does take time, but you can start to see, okay, our open rates are improving, our click rates are improving. If we're setting goals in our ESP, then the goals that are being achieved are improving. Um, you can see it, it's not a, it's not something you start to see immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. especially if you're, let's say you have a one month free trial, it's going to take you at least a month to see if the new emails are making any kind of that change, right? So yep. if, if it used to be that you would convert a customer on a free trial to a paid account in week four, and with a new of messages, they're now converting in week three, then they're working, they're doing something, right? Um, sorry. Yeah. You broke up there. Yep. I think I got gotcha. you. Yeah, sorry. That's right. Okay. Cool. Where, where, so where do we want to head next? Did you want to start talking about auditing, um, and kind of yeah, the checklist you use? Cool. Well, yep. the one thing, um, the one thing I will say about that, uh, you know, customer focus at the beginning there, and I don't want to go too far on a tangent of this, but there's a framework called jobs to be done that I think everyone should get really familiar with. And, and that's what I use to do customer interviews and surveys. Um, so, and I know there have been past microconf talks about jobs. Um, I, I know that there are a ton of resources out there. The book that I recommend is written by Bob Moesta and Chris Speak. It is called the Jobs to be Done Handbook. It's like 60 pages. You can read it in a day. Um, and because it's not about reading a book, it's about putting it into practice. So, right. um, start doing those one-to-one -one interviews with your customers it'll feel awkward at first it'll get easier over time and you learn so much about them and the problems they're facing and you get to use all of that voice of customer copy in your messaging which is really fun yep very cool so we have more questions pouring in sorry we we, we may <laughs> no, get to the fine. audit eventually yeah so um uh, Leanna Patch in all caps says, "How can I be more like you, Val?" Thanks, oh, Leanna. well, <laughs> it, Leanna, it's hard. Um, well, it, it is hard. It is. Um, <laughs> you, you have, have no to be idea. less sarcastic, probably. Oh, to start, yeah. Number one. Uh, all right. How about a serious question? There's um, a question from YouTube uh, that producer Xander pasted in, so I'm not sure who asked it, but he, uh, the question is, "What if you don't have an offer yet?" How do you build a good onboarding sequence for your newsletter? Oh, that's from Jen Holland. I'm yeah. wondering, uh, do you do you understand the question? Because I'm thinking, is it maybe this is like you're a SaaS app or a software product, and you just have an email newsletter right now, and you're kind of building a marketing right. uh, building funnel, the product, you don't have a product yet. It, yeah, haven't launched your product, but you have the email newsletter sign up. Um, well, first yeah. of all, congratulations, because you're like 400 steps ahead of most people for just having an email list for your product. Um, so, so that's great. Um, the, I think that building the relationship is the most important thing you can do in that 
uh, in any email situation, it's about relationship building. I mean, I always think about um, in the dinner party strategy talk that I shared in 2018, the, uh, there's this concept that the email inbox is your living room. Like your inbox is a very kind of sacred place that you don't invite just anyone into. So if someone has signed up for your email newsletter, um, they want to hear from you and they are kind of extending their hand and saying like, let's build a relationship here. So that's the best thing that you can do is start to talk about, and especially pre-product, talk about what you're doing. Um, some of the, my favorite products that I use on a regular basis and that I know have like rabid fans have built in public. Um, so they are live streaming what the, when they're doing coding sessions. They are asking questions of their email newsletter. Um, they, you know, they're, um, I've seen book authors send out chapters at a time to people who sign up to their list. So there's all kinds of ways to, to build that relationship and that excitement for the product. Um, but that the worst thing that you can do is have that email list and do nothing with it. So um, doing something is better than nothing. And then better than something is to consistently communicate and build a relationship with those customers, potential customers. Very nice. And I, I feel like you, the way to do that is to talk to them like a human being and not like your, yeah. your, don't copy the emails you get from Verizon and Target or Best Buy or whoever. I'm not picking on anybody. Just big companies right. send out these very rigid emails. And it's like at this stage, one of your big advantages, I think, is being able to build that rapport in the relationship. Yeah. Um, I worked with a fintech and, company and there was a ton of pushback from the banks. Like, oh, well, this isn't how we talk to our customers. Mm. Um, yep. and, and we were like, let's just try it. Let's try yeah. talking like people and, um, and telling stories and, uh, communicating and, um, and let's see what happens. And they were always skeptical, but then surprised when it actually yeah. works. It worked. Yeah. Uh, there yeah. was another question. What was the name of the jobs to be done book? Uh, it was jobs to be done handbook. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. When you look it up book. on Amazon, it's a red cover. And it's right, written cover. by Chris Speak and Bob Moesta. Awesome. And then this one may be, and it depends, but um, the question is how many emails should you have in a 14 day trial from Jordan Baker? I'm sure you get that. that all the is, time. That's the number one question that I get. How many yeah. emails should I have? Uh, it is, it yeah. depends. Um, I feel like the email answer I give all the time is it depends and test it. Um, yep. So yeah. in a 14 day trial. I imagine you have trial, some rules of thumb though. Yeah. Should you have 14 emails? Probably not. Um, right. But, and, and should you have two? Also no. Um, so somewhere in between two and 14. Um, and, and I would say, you know, in that trial, because it's 14 days, because it's so brief, do as much, um, if they're doing something, if they're not doing something, right? Do, do trigger-based emails versus time-based emails. Have a set of time-based, maybe there's three or four, but then have the rest of them be triggered on action or inaction so that you can have proper messaging to them based on what they're doing. Congratulating them if they're moving forward, um, asking them to like hit reply and ask questions or, or just say like, I don't even know where to begin, um, you know, engaging them if they're not doing anything, I think is really important. But 
um, try to avoid just simply time-based emails, especially with a short trial. Right. And the nice part about the age that we live in today is that's so much easier with, you know, customer.io or intercom or user list or the other yeah. myriad of, of trigger-based action, you know, behavioral-based email platforms. You go back, really you go back about six or seven, maybe eight years. And there was like one, you know, one or two and you had to hack it together. But I mean, we do live in a rich ecosystem now in terms yeah, of that. I love Pop all of those options you just mentioned. Awesome. Pablo says, uh, he asks, are text-only emails still converting better than fancy templates? Yeah, again, it depends. You have to test it on your audience. Um, so text-only um, does have, it has that more conversational feel to it, um, especially if you have a very uh, large presence in your brand. I think text-only yeah. kind of goes over better with your audience. So um, you know, um, if, if Pablo is someone that people who buy his product know, then sending emails from Pablo makes a ton of sense. And it also helps people feel connected to the product. Um, when I use a product that is a brand, I feel like it's really easy to walk away from a brand. I can, I can hit cancel and, uh, you know, cancel my billing plan, cancel my subscription at any time with a brand. But if I am using a product made by Rob, now I, my friend Rob has been emailing me, like I, even if I don't know Rob, right? Um, now I have to walk away from Rob, who's a person, and I have to mm -hmm. tell him, I don't really want to be a part of your product anymore. So that's a little mm -hmm. bit harder. It may create some friction. Um, I'm not saying don't use images and don't use your logo and all those things, but think about how important they are to get your message across. Um, and try to see if you can take the logo off of the header, um, put it at the bottom of the email, mm. make it less about right. you and your brand and more about your customers. Right, yeah, I think that's good Good feedback. I used to be um, all text, you know, looking emails, obviously it was a HTML and text versions, but uh, you know, kind of plain text looking. And then I had someone, when I redesigned robwalling.com or I had someone redesign it, he threw together an email template for me and I got a bunch of, and it's very, it's still mostly plain text, but it just has some colors on the side. It has my picture in the like signature, you know, where it says Rob. And I don't know, it has the colors of my website. It's very lightly branded. So it's not a brochure, you know, it's not a glossy email that you get with all the pictures and the grids and all this and that, but it's also one step above or, or not above, but one step toward, you know, towards that from text. And I've gotten a ton of good feedback about it. Um, and it, yep. you know, it seems to, seems to work. So, um, yeah, cool. you, do you need you know, a hamburger button and like website menus in your right. emails? No, um, right. Don't go but over, a little yeah. bit of, brand recognition is a good thing. Right. Cool. Trevor Lorbeer has a question. He says, a follow-up on the plain text versus fancy template. He says, if you're using your onboarding email sequence to do product training, is it better to use a more conversational approach with fewer or no screenshots, so more text, or better to go more tutorial-oriented with more screenshots? Hmm. Uh, so one thing I think is important here is to talk about accessibility and mm. knowing that um, I don't want to see anyone using screenshots as this is the message, right? So I, if you're using screenshots, mm. they should support the text that you have in your email. They shouldn't be the entire message. Um, and that goes for like any images in your emails. So I see a lot of like 
images with words over the top of them. Um, sometimes that happens with like a coupon code or something. Well, if somebody <laughs> is using a screen reader or has images disabled or for whatever reason isn't viewing images, they don't see that. And uh, it's very difficult to get your message across if you don't have the text support the image or the vice versa. Images should be supporting text. Um, so I, I do think that including screenshots is an important thing to do. And you can kind of test even within a single sequence, you can say, okay, well, on the first time we talk about it, we're going to give them screenshots or, you know, and, and go through the whole thing. And then if they still haven't completed that task, the second time we talk about it, we're going to just link them to the page and not do screenshots and let's see how it performs. Or maybe you even split test a single email and say, how does it perform without these screenshots and, and, and just direct links, you know, inline links. And then how is it performing with screenshots and see what your audience responds to better. Um, you know, if they are sitting in front of a computer all day, they'll probably appreciate the screenshots. If they're viewing emails on their phone, they're probably not interested in seeing those screenshots as much. So, but again, you have to test it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very It's cool. really easy to be an email marketer because you just say, I don't know, test it. It tends test it. Yeah. But the, you know, <laughs> right. I, which is, which is what I often say, but I, but I know you have rules of thumb too, which is what yes. is the more valuable piece I think in yeah. this context, which is what you just, you know, put out. Um, well, we, so we, we are, I told you before we started recording, I said, you know, some weeks there are so many questions, we don't actually get to the thing. So we're running short on time, but I, I do, there's no more questions now, but I do, um, I just wanted to ask, well, I want to ask two things. Number one, if folks did want to, uh, get their hands on or hear more about this, like audit, you know, this onboarding audit, have you ever yeah. blogged about it? If they sign up for your email newsletter, can they hear about it? Or is there any other way for them to get their hands on it? Yeah. So how about this? Um, I'll take what I have in, you know, what we outlined for the talk and I'll turn yep. it into a blog post. I'll flush it out a bit more um, and publish it. So if you want to join my email list, then you'll know as soon as that's published. Um, yep. And that fix I'll probably my churn? Even, yeah. fix com to get on your email list. Yes. Awesome. Yep. yep. Um, so go ahead and join the email list. And then uh, you will hear as soon as that blog post is published. Um, and I will probably even with that blog post have like a downloadable PDF of the checklist itself. So you can go ahead and uh, post that next to your computer and do it on a quarterly basis is, is my awesome. hope for you. That's yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing, man, with SAS and you just, you have to be revisiting this stuff constantly pricing every three to six months onboarding every three to six months. It just is constantly changing. The best so product if, managers I know have a post-it note on their computer that says, did you talk to a customer today? And nice. usually they don't even get to today, but if they talk to one customer a week, they're doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. That'll yeah. keep you in the loop. Well, amazing. Thanks again for coming on the show. If folks yeah. want to keep up with you on Twitter, you are love Val Geisler. And obviously, fixmyturn.com is your home on the internet. And if folks have not checked out your dinner party, um, uh, what is it? The dinner party strategy. Dinner party strategy. Concept. Yeah. So there's a, yeah. she did a talk at MicroConf in 2018. You can Google it. It's available for free on YouTube. And I know you've done some writing on that as well. So I would highly yeah. recommend folks check out that framework for, for onboarding. So I'll put a link to it on Twitter right now. Okay. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Val. Really appreciate you coming on, on the show.